Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So here we have, in these two chapters of Romans, Paul is specifically saying that the government is the avenger. And then he tells us to never avenge ourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, who has delegated that authority to the government. Welcome to Life in Christ. My name is Brent Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here at The Landing, a church in Duluth, Minnesota. Life in Christ is a podcast, mostly now of episodes of conversations between us as elders of The Landing, using these podcasts as a way in which we have conversations about theology, about God, about living out our convictions about God as we read them in Scripture. With me today is one of our elders, Conrad Yort. Conrad, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to have a conversation with you. Thanks for digging into Wayne Grudem's chapter on capital punishment. Yes, it's very good. Weighty topic. Yep, yep. Important, though. Yep. And in fact, not only important because it's worthwhile to think through what we believe as Christians about actual cases of capital punishment in our culture. That's part of what our conversation will be about. Part of it. But it's also helpful to think about capital punishment as a window onto the gospel. And you find out that it actually is more applicable to each one of us personally than you might think. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. I find that life-giving. And I hope if you're listening right now to this podcast, you'll find not only our comments and our conversation about public policy to be informative and possibly even insightful for your own thinking, that's our prayer and hope, but also that it would point you to the gospel in such a way that you find yourself even more grateful for Christ even more grateful for his death on the cross, even more grateful for the sovereign plan of God to enact the gospel, and even more grateful for the Holy Spirit who applies it to your life. Conrad, what's the key passage in Scripture that Dr. Grudem and you have used when you presented on capital punishment? Yeah, the main passages comes from Genesis chapter 9, 5 through 6. And this occurs right after the flood. So if we just think of the context God has just essentially executed virtually all humans on the earth. His own, in a sense, his own capital punishment for the sins that were occurring, the wickedness of all the people. Noah and his family are spared through the grace of God. They come out after the flood, and now God establishes a new society through them. And he gives them a number of commands, actually, and we're just focusing on one of them here. But this is where... God sets up the provision for governmental authority. Yeah. And in particular, to our conversation, governmental capital punishment. So we could be explicit on a couple things. One, God sees sin as punishable by death. Yes. That's the first thing we can say. And he proved that, as you've just said, through the flood. The second thing we could be explicit about is... After the flood, when all of the sinners populating the world at the time were executed by the flood, those who remained, Noah and his family, the eight in the ark, were themselves sinners. Correct. And gave birth to sinners. There was not a removal of the sin problem, though there was a removal of the vast majority of sinners. In other words, that observation is a crucial observation to say, while the vast majority of sinners were removed... Sin was not removed. That's right. Sin continued through Noah's line. 
That's important because the very latter part of chapter 9 that you're about to introduce to us talks about how Noah and his descendants began to sin. So the sin problem in the world that Adam and Eve introduced into the world was still a problem and still continued, pointing forward to a final solution in the second Adam. We'll talk about that in a second. So what passage in, in, no, in uh, Genesis chapter 9? Yep. So this is Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 6. And at this point, he's giving Noah instructions, and it reads as follows. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man from his own image. And from here, you can see a variety of key points um, in for your lifeblood. That's the blood represents life. So sure. for your life, I will require a reckoning. Three times, God says, I will require. This, there's a requirement here. And then he goes on specifically to say, whoever sheds, and this would be a shedding meaning a violent, unjustified taking of human life, not just blood but taking of a human life. And then God transfers that responsibility or sets up authority that by man shall his blood be shed. So before the flood, God took care of this. It was God's responsibility. He punished the sin that was occurring. Now he is specifically handing that off, if you would, setting up another system by which his authority is going to be delegated Yes, I was going to say it's a delegated it's authority. It's a delegation. God's still doing it, but he's now doing it through delegating it to man. Correct. Yeah. And we'll find out that God still controls this. He's still sovereign over this. He will ultimately take care of all punishment. But on earth, he is delegating that authority to man. And so by man shall his blood be shed. For, and this is the key, is that the reason that God's going to require blood to be shed is because the reason that God is going to require a life to be taken for the shedding of blood, because man was made specifically in God's image. So let's let's paraphrase that. Man was made specifically in God's image. Therefore, when man is murdered, violently his life is taken from him, God requires that man, his delegated authority, we'll see that as governments shortly here, will have a right not just permitted, but required by right to take that perpetrator's or that murderer's life. So this is sober, powerful, establishing not only of the rights of government and God delegating, but of the value of human life. Absolutely. This, this elevates, elevates the, value. Yeah. the value of human life. And we need to realize that an attack on a human being is, in essence, an attack on God himself. So man is representing God here on earth. And so when you attack and violently kill a man, you are attacking God's representative, and it's an attack on God himself. And so it is different than uh, killing an animal or something else. Harming property. Harming property and things like that. This is a class above. Mm. 
It's so helpful. So very helpful. So that's ground laying. That's foundation laying. Yes. So yeah. this is giving the right to human governments to enact punishments, to come up and to decide what crimes require punishment, what the punishment should be, and how to determine who is guilty of such punishments. Let me ask you a question, Conrad. This is someone might be listening to us right now and have the question in their mind. Why is this passage that you've just so clearly helped us understand in Genesis 9 not simply permitting vengeance? Why is it not permitting any person to go around saying, hey, you know, I think I've been wronged. I'm going to misinterpret Genesis 9, and I'm just going to go take vengeance myself. Right. And as we'll find out in the Romans passages, this actually is a method to eliminate vengeance, Uh to take away the vengeance. And God is setting up a way where we don't have to take out vengeance on a murderer that that is delegated away. In fact, our hearts can remain pure. It gives us the opportunity to forgive. It's not our responsibility to take vengeance. And if we're honest, we don't really have the capacity to do that with perfect justice once we've been wronged. Correct. There isn't a human being, though we're all made in the image of God, all human beings, believers and unbelievers, I don't know that there's a human being on the planet throughout the history of humankind who's got the capacity to mete out justice against the person who has wronged him personally or her personally or someone close to them. Right. And to have any sort of idea of what constitutes proper justice and what is a proper punishment when you are the one that's been wronged, it's... Probably impossible. That's what I'm suggesting. So you find the great comfort we have in Genesis 18.25. The judge of all the earth, the Lord, he will do right. The judge of all the earth, he will do right. So there's a sense in which God says, I not only am going to empower governments to bring just capital punishment against a murderer, but I am going to allow those governments, when they're acting in that way, to carry out the justice that I myself am meeting out. In other words, when a person commits murder and the judge sentenced them to capital murder, the most careful, guilty murderer will hear that sentence come to them as not just from a human judge, but from God. That's right. God is judging me right now. And they should take whatever time they've been allowed from the moment of that sentence and that discovery to the moment when the capital punishment is carried out to repent and ask God for his forgiveness that eternal life might be granted them. That's right. That's what we're saying. That's exactly what we're saying. We're saying ultimately, ultimately, this design is evangelistic, drawing the hardened sinner and all who are observing. There's a witness role to this as well. The culture and the community sees this. They experience this. It's a deterrent against murder, sure, but it's more than that. It's a sense in which this individual is being judged by and handed over to the living God for an eternity. So when you watch or hear about capital punishment, don't just say, oh, good, there's a a wrongdoer being brought to justice. Yes, but ultimate justice is in the hands of the Lord, and it's not just justice in this life. Very often a person will say, I don't believe in capital punishment because it seems like it lets the murderer off too easy. And the response to that is, their last day on earth is their easiest day. There's a hell to pay of eternal torment. Beyond that, 
know they're not getting off easy. Our only hope is that they would repent. And it also gives us the freedom to know that regardless of what punishment is or isn't given here on earth, that there is perfect judgment. God will take his vengeance out. We can give that all to the delegated authority and then to God himself. That's right. That's right. Part of our assumption in this conversation is to assume that governments are doing a good job. Not necessarily. Okay, say more about that. So if you think of when this law was given in Genesis, and you think of all the governments since then, there's been good and bad governments. And God has given good and bad governments. This authority. This authority. That's right. He has delegated it. And we can think of Rome in the New Testament. We can think of all the many governments in the Old Testament and Israel. There's good, bad, but God still gives his authority. And so we shouldn't shrink back from this because... Sinners are left to execute it. Right. And it's not perfect. Right. It won't be perfect. There won't be perfect judgment on this earth. And that is not God's expectation or his calling. It's, It's our goal. But in the end, we know that God will finish his justice perfectly. When you think about passages which give undergirding authority to the government for this role, where do we go? Well, the most clear exposition is in Romans 12 and 13. And so if I'll read from Romans 13, verse 4, it says, For he, and he is the government authority, so for the governing authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he, the governing authority, does not bear the sword in vain. For he, the governing authority, is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So one thing to note there that he does not bear the sword. The sword is not just punishment, but that's lethal punishment. He does not bear lethal punishment in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger. And then if we compare that to Romans 12, where Paul is talking to Christians, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So here we have, in these two chapters of Romans, Paul is specifically saying that the government is the avenger, and then he tells us to never avenge ourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, who has delegated that authority to the government. Right. So we could say that there's dual response, there's two responses to the horror of human murder. One response is, that individual, that perpetrator must be brought to justice, and the authorities that God has delegated, as you've rightly said, good and bad governments throughout history, are rightly delegated with the authority to examine and see if, in fact, that act of murder is one worthy of capital punishment as a response, and then to carry it out, as it were, with the sword. They're doing so as a servant of God, and they're avenging the crime or the wrongdoing that that perpetrator committed. The second response If the government is commended to do that, the second response, especially for the believer, is then to pray for and even bless one's enemy. That's right. To act with patience, with brokenhearted and sorrowful kindness toward the one who has committed such a heinous act against them or against their family member or their friend. And there's no contradiction. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 
maybe one of the most profound things that we'll talk about. You have an individual who says, I am glad for the government, local government, and its role that might result in your being killed or, or undergoing capital punishment and you're executed, your life will be over. And it might be very near and it might be because of what you did against me and my family. But at the same time, with the heart of Christ, I can pray for your soul. I can forgive you knowing that you will be handed over to the just hands of God and he will either, through Christ, give you forgiveness in Christ bearing the sin and weight of your sin on the cross, or he will mete out punishment against you eternally in hell, the smoke of your torment going up forever and ever. Justice will be done in the end, one way or the other. That's right. That allows a sort of trembling kindness to that individual. I say trembling because every one of us needs a Savior for the sins we've committed. Jesus was quick to say, if you say, Raka, you fool, you are liable to the Sanhedrin. And I know that even as I might speak forgiveness to a murderer, one who's even murdered someone so near to me, a child or a parent or a spouse, that I'm almost speaking at the very edge of my moral capacity there. I'm almost at the edge of what I can conceive. But I know Christ commands it. And it's important to think that the punishment or the purpose of the punishment is not to fix the wrongdoing. Aha, uh-huh, right. The purpose of the punishment is because it's a sin primarily against God and against his image bearers. And so we want that punishment to occur, but we're not looking for that punishment to fix our situation. As so often vengeance has this idea if if I can make that person hurt as much as he hurt me, hmm. somehow this can be right. right. And that's, that is not the purpose of the punishment. It's not going to make things right, but it does give you the freedom to forgive and to release that burden. And we can draw that corollary of God being able to release his burden of vengeance on us because We've sinned against him, like you said earlier. Just Noah and everyone after him, we've all sinned. And so we all are deserving of condemnation and punishment. And God, being a just and right God, is going to carry out that punishment. He is going to see that. He is a just God who will not let sin go unpunished. Right. Well, and that points to what we've alluded to in several comments so far, and that is capital punishment deemed and delegated to human governments is a faint, flawed, and weak, but very real echo of God's capital punishment of his son upon the cross in our place for our sin. That's right. When I've sinned against the living God, I deserve capital punishment, not just once, but for eternity, because the nature of my crimes is infinite, for I have violated the worth and value of an infinite God. His glory is infinitely precious. My sins against him are therefore infinitely heinous, and therefore I deserve an infinite punishment. Yet Christ bore that infinite punishment on the cross for me and all who believe. 
If we set aside capital punishment, as some choose to do, without biblical warrant, unwittingly, it seems to me, and sadly, sometimes it is wittingly, they minimize the power of the gospel. That's right. They minimize the wonder of God placing my sin upon the shoulders of his son, who knew no sin, but became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I think the gospel is not only on display in capital punishment, but is harmed if we reject capital punishment. Bold statement, I realize. Not everyone would agree with that. There's room for disagreement within Christian ethics. Well, it does just speak to the eternal essence of sin, that sin isn't simply something that we do and is past and doesn't make a difference, but all sin is directed at God and all sin requires a punishment. That capital punishment, God executing his own son, carrying out capital punishment, shows us the enormity and the depth of our own sin. Yes, it does. And so when we see that carried out by God's delegated authority, we are reminded of the penalty of sin that we all deserve. So practically, a couple of ways that we might apply this is, one, we might give great thanks to God for Christ's death on our behalf and be reminded once again, thank you, Lord, for the gospel and the power of the gospel that we enjoy as believers. When I come to God, all I deserve from him is eternal wrath. And when I come to God through Christ, what I receive is abundant mercy. The second thing is we should pray for our governments. They have a massive responsibility to carry out justice in a honorable and true and measured way. Right. Not in a vengeful, rage-filled, violent way. And it's true that there's a lot of questions about capital punishment. You know, we're not getting into the weeds here. We're not getting into the politics. There's a lot of wisdom and discernment that's needed by governments to do this. And that all has to take place. And we should be praying for that as well as partaking in it to the extent that each one of us has a role in government, whether it be local or state or federal. That's part of, especially in the U.S., where we all have, to a degree, some part in our government. Right. We should speak into that. Right. Well, that sheds light then on Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, He says, first of all, then, that I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So you can see why it's so important that governments carry out their God-given mandates with order and with justice and with integrity and with measured, calm self-control, for that then yields a peaceful and quiet life. And of course, the reason for that, Paul goes on, is so that the gospel might be proclaimed more broadly and more widely. Conrad, this is great. Yeah. This is encouraging. Yeah, I I think it's uh, for such a heavy subject, I think it's very encouraging and gives us hope in the gospel. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. Thank you. Thank you for your labors. Thank you for your teaching. Would you close our time in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you knowing that we are all sinners. We all have defamed you. We have all put our treasures in things here on earth. But you graciously came and you rescued us 
by taking our punishment, our sin, and laying it upon Jesus Christ at the cross. Lord, we are all deserving of capital punishment. We have all committed infinite sins against you. And so with that, we are so thankful for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bless and guide our governments. We pray specifically here in the United States where we are located that you would bless and guide the elected leaders that make these decisions. We pray for the many judges and prosecutors who have to make these specific decisions in specific cases. We pray for the jurors of specific cases that have to weigh and wrestle with these questions. We pray that to the extent possible that your justice would occur here on earth, that we might look to you for our ultimate justice. So with that, would you bless us? Bless all that are listening to this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Conrad, thank you. And thanks for listening to Life in Christ. Our aim is to build up your hope and strengthen the life of God's Word in your life and the work of the Holy Spirit as He watches over God's Word in your life to perform it. We mean to glorify Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, and we mean to give glory to the Father, who is Himself life. If you have any questions about the gospel or the Christian life, please reach out to us. We're happy to visit with you by phone or text or email or contact us uh, by coming to visit us. We're the Landing Church here in Duluth, Minnesota. If you have a church that you're a part of, go to your church every Lord's Day. Dive in, offer yourself wholeheartedly to the cause of Christ at your local church. If you do not have a local church and you're in our area, you're welcome to come and visit. We'd love to meet you and worship the Lord Jesus together with you. It's our highest earthly joy and our eternal enterprise. Thanks for clicking in. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of Life in Christ. Take care. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.